Good morning. I greet all of you in the name of Jesus. It's a blessing and a privilege to, to be here. It's good to see you. I see a fair amount of familiar faces, most of them being from Maranatha Bible School, the youth. So it, it's good to see you, and, and uh, thank you for coming out this morning. And I have a lot of fond memories of, of this area, actually over in Weir's Cavemore, which I'm a little directionally challenged around here. What, I'm not sure what direction that is. But, um, yeah, so Dr. Weaver is, as you guys would know him, probably some of the older ones anyways, was my dad's brother. And um, we were fairly close growing up with their family, so we made quite a few trips into the valley here and used to be over at the Bank Church. And yesterday we were there for a wedding, so brought, brought back a little bit of memories as well. So it's good to be back amongst you here this morning. Before I came out here, I checked with Davey how long the messages usually are. I said I'd like to try to keep it kind of to what you guys are used to. And he told me an hour and a half should be fine. So everything Davey says you take, you know, as straight meaning, right? So I, yeah, if you settle in for an hour and a half. So he did tell me later that, that he corrected it later. So I invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9 this morning. Matthew chapter 9, towards the end of the chapter, I'm going to be reading verses 36 to 38. And so here we have Jesus, he had just finished the Sermon on the Mount not too long before, and he was in Capernaum, and he was going around healing people, and he was becoming quite, I don't know if popular is the right word, but people were really drawn to him. And you can imagine if if you were sick or if you had family that was sick or if you had problems or troubles and you heard about this man that you could simply go to him and and hear him or touch him, he would heal you. And so the people were just flocking to Jesus and were coming to see him. And, you know, through chapter, after the Sermon on the Mount, through chapter 8 and through chapter 9, there's just story after story after story where Jesus was healing people. Um, he raised the daughter from the dead. He healed the blind men, cast out demons, just different, whatever, whatever else that he did. And he comes to verse 38, verse 36, I'm sorry. And that's where I want to begin reading. He says, but when, talking about Jesus, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And I don't know exactly how this was going, but I can imagine that Jesus was working with all these people. And they kept coming to him with his needs. And more and more came. And more than he could even almost help. And, And I don't fully understand it because God was fully God, but he was also fully man, and so he was struggling, I think, with his emotions and things like that. If, if he was fully man, he had to be. And it's almost like he came and he looked, he was doing all this work, and finally he stopped. Maybe he was tired, I don't know, I'm just using my imagination. And he stopped and he looked out and he saw all these people, and he saw all these opportunities of, of, of being able to help these people, of course, helping them physically, but really trying to help them spiritually was the main goal. And he looks out and he says, look at all these people. There's so many. There's so many people. And yet there's so few workers. 
There's so few workers. I don't know, was Jesus thinking, if I just had more disciples, if I had more people that believed in me, if I had more people that followed me, maybe we could get more done. And I don't know what you guys struggle with in, what, in Virginia here, but I imagine it's probably the same things that we struggle with in Ohio. We're, we're, you know, we're all the same, mostly the same. And, and so, you know, as Jesus describes this as a sheep having no shepherd, you thinking back in, in the old days when they would take the sheep out on the sides of the mountains and they, they needed a leader, they needed someone to guide them, to help them, to follow them, to rescue them when they went astray. And he's, he's imagining these people as a sheep without a shepherd. I want you to use your imagination with me a little bit this morning. I want you to imagine a farm in the western United States where there's a big wheat field, hundreds of acres. And there's this farmer who owns this wheat field. And he has prepared the soil. He worked the soil. He planted, he bought the seed. He planted the seed. He put on the fertilizer. He sprayed the weeds. And it was time for harvest. Getting to be that time of year, the time of the year that we're in right now. And this farmer took great care. He had big equipment, big tractors, big combines, big trucks, and he took great care throughout the year to make sure that his equipment was ready to do the work when the work was ready to be done. He, made, he did his maintenance, he serviced it, he had it all ready. And so the day came when he decided that tomorrow I'm going to start harvesting my wheat. And if you have a good imagination, I want you now to imagine with me that his combines that he was going to use could talk. And so he goes out the next morning, he climbs up into his combine, gets ready to start it, and the combine says, hang on a minute. I don't, I don't have time today to, to harvest the wheat. You see, I, I'm, I'm busy, I got a lot going on, I'm tired, got to bed late. And it's not that I don't care about the wheat, and I know we need to harvest it. And I know you planted it, and you spent the time, and I want to help, but just not today. Maybe once I'm recuperated more, then I'll help harvest the wheat. And I'm still tired from the combine parade last week and everything I had to go through to get through that, and I just, I, I, just, I, don't, I don't have time. I'm, I'm sorry, I just don't have it today. So the farmer, he doesn't want to make his combines do work unless they want to. So he gets off of combine number one, crawls down, and goes over to combine number two. And before he starts combine number two, he thinks that he should probably check the fluids in the oil, fluids such as the oil and the the water, antifreeze, and so on. And so he gets over and he starts getting ready to check that, and the combine's like, no, we don't have time for that. we got to get going. Don't mess with those little things. I just want to get out and get to work. Slept, overslept, I don't have time to check the oil, check the water, we'll just go. So the, so the farmer says, okay, what's what we'll do? He climbed up into the combine, started the engine, and they started heading out for the field. And as they were heading out to the field, there was a long hill that they had to climb up. And as they were climbing up that hill, what do you think happened? 
The engine overheated, and it blew up, and it quit. And there the combine sat. And so the farmer doesn't give up. He goes and gets out of combine number two, and he goes over to combine number three. And combine number three says, I would really like to help you, but I can't. I'm just a little old red combine. Maybe if I was a big green combine, maybe if I was a truck or a tractor, then I would help. I would want to help because I could do a better job like those other ones can. But I'm just a poor little old combine, and I can't do as well as the others. I want to help. I mean, I... The wheat harvesting the wheat is important. I, I know it's important to you. You planted it, and and we need to harvest it to to keep things going around here. And so the farmer tells the combine. He says, "You don't need to do what the others do. I just need you to do what you can do for me today. Just do the best that you can." The combine says, "No, I can't. I'm afraid I'll fail. What if someone sees me make a mistake? What if I blow a tire? What if something goes wrong and the others see me? I can't take that chance." So the farmer is sad. He climbs out of combine number three, and he goes home. I want you to imagine with me this morning that God is the farmer, the world is the wheat, and you and I are the combines. And if Jesus came here this morning, and he was up here teaching I think he would, we would all agree that he would say that the harvest truly is plenteous. How many of you think he would say that? Is the harvest still plenteous around? Is there still plenty of work to reach people? But I wonder what he would say about the laborers. You know, in Matthew 9 there, he was, it seemed like Jesus was discouraged. He said the laborers are few. And what would Jesus say if he was at Bethany here in Virginia this morning? What would he say about the laborers? If he went up and down the aisle here and he started with Davy and he just walked back through here and evaluated each of your lives, would you be a laborer in the kingdom of God? Are you busy in the Lord's work? Or are you interested in it but have a hard time finding time for it? My goal isn't to make you feel guilty, but to allow, to encourage you to allow God to look into your life and to take evaluation of what your purpose is and what you're doing here on earth. You see, when we are born again, we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if we're born again and we have a true experience, we're going to want to work in the kingdom of God. And if you have no desire to work in the kingdom of God, then you need to take a long look inside and allow Jesus to take a look and to change you and to cleanse you. And I'm afraid one of the things that's happening amongst our people today is that we somehow look at church. If we go to church, if we're there on Sunday mornings, and we look right and we say right and we do right, that somehow that's good enough. 
I'm here to tell you that's not good enough. That's not what Jesus had in mind. I'm afraid that we're turning the church into an end. In other words, like that's all that they're, the main thing that there is in the Christian life. The church is not an end. The church is a means to an end. I look at the church as a place where we should come to get our batteries recharged on Sundays and Wednesdays or whenever you have service. I have some cordless tools I have at home, and I, I need to use those on occasion, and I like to charge them and make sure that they're ready to go. And that's how I think we should look at the church, as a place where we recharge our batteries, and then we go out and we work in the kingdom. I'm afraid we've turned the church into a place where that's kind of the end. And we're focusing in on ourselves instead of getting recharged and going out and focusing on others. I believe one of the tragedies of our days is that we're so busy with our schedules, our interests, our finances, our hobbies, and our struggles that we're so busy looking within that we have a hard time looking out and helping in the harvest. I want to read a few scriptures. One of them in James, if you want to turn there. James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 20, and then verse 26. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works." Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well, the devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31 through the end of the chapter. Talking about Jesus is talking about the judgment. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee, a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee, sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was in hunger, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. 
sick and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. God is still looking for laborers to work in his kingdom today. The harvest still is great. Are you a laborer in his kingdom? I had the privilege in the last few weeks or so to sit at the bedside of a brother in our church who was dying and has died, passed on. And it's at times like that that can draw our mind towards what really is important. And it really comes down to a few questions that you can ask yourself that really are important at the end of life. But see, when we're going through life and our focus is wrong, it's easy not to be thinking of those things. But when you get to the end of your life, there's only really a few things that that matter. And one of them is, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Are you working in his kingdom? Were you laboring in his kingdom? Because I read here in James chapter 2 that it's not good enough just to know Jesus. He says right there that faith without works is dead. And you know what else he says? He said the devils also believe and tremble. And I'm afraid that too many of us just believe. And it doesn't change us and it doesn't make us go out and work in the kingdom. It's not good enough just to know Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, they were saying, let me just turn to that real quick. You don't need to turn there. Jesus says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Knowing Jesus is not good enough. Living for him and allowing him to change your life and working in his kingdom, that's what he wants. And the most important question is, does Jesus know you? You know, that's the difference. Does Jesus know you as a worker in his kingdom. You know, a lot of us grow up in church, Sunday school, Bible school. We know what to say, when to say it, and how to say it, how often to say it, how long to say it. We know all the right things, don't we? A lot of us do. And at some point, we make a decision for Jesus Christ. But being born again is so much more than just a decision. Being born again is seeing ourselves as a sinner in need of a Savior. Seeing the wretchedness of our life. Knowing that there's a God who loves us. Knowing that there's a God who wants to forgive us. Knowing there's a God who is holy, who requires us to be holy and pure before him. And when we become born again, we are, between, we are new creatures in him. New passions, new pursuits. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new.
want you to imagine that I'm starting a basketball team. I used to play a lot of basketball before I had back surgery. And so I'm starting a basketball team. And we're having tryouts to make the team, and I'm going to pick on Wyatt. And so Wyatt wants to be on my team. I won't ask him if he really would want to be on my team. But for this sake, he wants to be on the team. And so he shows me a few of his skills, and he practices in front of me, and I think he's good enough to make the team. So I said, you can be on the team. And so we go, and we have our first game. And um, as we're playing the game, I need Wyatt to get on the court and play. And I say, Wyatt, I need you to go out there and play. And Wyatt says, no, I'm not going out there. I don't want to play. I say, why not? You wanted to be on the team. And Wyatt said, yeah, I wanted to be on the team, but I didn't want to play. I just want to be part of the team. You know, we look at that and we think, that, well, that's just pathetic. That doesn't make any sense. But I want you to look at your own life, and I want to look at my own life and Christianity. Do you want to work in God's kingdom, or are you just wanting to be a part of the team and sit on the sidelines? And when God says go, you say no. And when God says, I need you over here, you say, I can't go because I'm too busy, because I'm not good enough, because I'm not as good as the other guys are. I'm not going, I want to be on the team, but I don't want to be a player. And I'm afraid too many of us are satisfied simply sitting on the sidelines. You know, we are at different stages in our Christian life. And I want to acknowledge that. We will vary in our walk with the Lord, maturity level from where we're at. And so we need to have grace for each other, and I understand that. But as a Christian... We should never vary in our dedication of wanting to serve Jesus Christ. Whether you're a new Christian or whether you've been a Christian for 50 years, having a dedication to serve Jesus Christ. You know, in Matthew 25, I find it interesting. Jesus doesn't say things like, if you were at church all the time, or if you attended Bible school, or if you were at all the Wednesday evening prayer circles or those types of things, that you're in the kingdom of heaven. That's not what he said. What did he say? He said, if you fed the hungry. He said, if you clothed the naked. He said, if you visited me in prison. Those were the things that Jesus was looking at. And yes, going to church and going to Bible school and doing those things, those are all good things, but they're a means to an end. They're not an end in itself. And that's what I want to make sure we get this morning. Those are just things to equip us and help us in working in God's kingdom. Some of the saddest words in scriptures, I think, are that the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. And for the rest of the time, I want to talk just some practical application about how do we become laborers in God's kingdom. Because sometimes we talk about these things, and yes, we want to be laborers, and what did Jesus mean, but how do we apply that to our lives today? When we think of laborers, what kind of laborers 
you think that Jesus wants. I used to hire some people for the job that I used to have. And it mattered what kind of qualities that people had. And at one time we were really busy and we could hardly find enough people and we would take basically anyone who could show up and, and work. And sometimes people showed up for like a day or two days or maybe a week and just quit. Just quit. No dedication. No, just didn't care. God is looking for people who are dedicated. God is looking for people who are sincere. I thought there'd be attitudes. When you look at qualifications, there's many good qualifications that Jesus gives in the Beatitudes. Pure in heart. Poor in spirit. Look at the fruits of the Spirit as well. As we look at these labors of working together as a local brotherhood, in the work of the kingdom. You know, the work is tiresome. The work is dirty. The work takes effort. The work is long. The work may not be finished in your lifetime. The work will take away from your personal time, and there will be some self-sacrifice. But the work is a command, and the work is also rewarding. And so we don't enter into this work flippantly like the farmer that cast the seed that the seed sprung up and it just died off. Serving in God's kingdom takes dedication and takes sincerity. And as I think of serving in God's kingdom, I think of Jesus in Acts 1.8, just before he sent into the great, he gave the commission to the disciples. He told them that they're going to receive the Holy Spirit and after that that they should be witnesses unto him in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the earth. And I want you to think this morning of being a laborer in God's kingdom. And you ask, how do I do that? I want you to think of just what Jesus told the disciples. Be a witness for me. You be a witness for Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the earth. And you could think of Jerusalem as your family, your spouse, your children. You could think of Judea as your church family. You could think of Samaria as a little bit further out, the community the, and, and in the towns and things like that, reaching out, and then into the uttermost parts of the earth. There's three things I want to talk with you this morning about in labors, is your time, your talents, and your money. You know, time, I believe, is probably the one thing that we find the hardest to give is time. In fact, I think that many of us find it easier to give some money than we do to give some time. It's a precious commodity. And I won't take the time to do it, but in Luke chapter 10, Jesus came to the house of Martha. And Martha was encumbered with much things of trying to make sure everything was perfect. And Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him, teaching, learning from him. And Martha's complaining to Jesus. She says, Jesus, can't you see my sister's not helping and doing her job? And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, Mary has found what's important. And I look at time and how we spend it, how I spend it. I wonder if I don't have messed up a little bit what's important. 
You look at Jesus and what he did and the example he left. Recently, I'll give a little bit of an example of my own life. I was out in Colorado elk hunting, and I enjoy hunting. And I was up there one evening on top of the mountain, and it was just like God was speaking to me. And God was saying, you know, Keith, you're pretty, dirty, you're pretty dedicated when it comes to elk hunting, aren't you? You get up early, you get to bed late, but the next morning you just get up and do it again. It's dedication. But you know what God told me? I want that kind of dedication in my work. You see, I find it pretty easy to be dedicated when I'm hunting. I was crying on top of that mountain, and I promised God that I was going to serve him with dedication, to preach with dedication, to have my devotions with dedication, to serve him and to reach out and to help others. Because I think sometimes we just get it turned around where we're dedicated in the wrong things. And again, we look at time. If you want to be a laborer in God's kingdom, it's going to cost you time. And it may just be the hardest thing that you have to give up is time. I wonder what it is that's holding you back. Maybe it's hunting. Maybe it's another hobby. Maybe it's your social media, your internet use. Maybe you're a slave to your work. There's all kinds of things. Are these things wrong? Like I told the congregation at home, I'm not planning on quitting hunting unless God asks me to. But just like Martha had things turned around and Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning, we need to make sure that we get it right. There should be nothing else that comes before our relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing. Personal devotions. Do you have a meaningful personal devotions? If you want to be a worker in God's kingdom, you need to be connected with Jesus Christ. You're not going to be an effective worker if you're not spending time with the master. It's just not going to happen. Is your devotional more than a three-minute reading and a three-minute prayer and you run out the door? Does it have more meaning to you than that? Take a look at your life. Like I need to take a look at my life. Do you have a longing to spend time with God? What about in Jerusalem, your family, your spouse? How about you men here this morning? And you young men, are you leading out? Men, are you loving your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it? You spending time with your children. You spending time on what's important. Because being a witness for Jesus is not just going to Africa and being a witness for Him. You need to start in your own families. But you don't stop there. Wives, do you respect your husbands? Do you encourage them? And children, youth, 
Do you obey your parents? Do you honor them? Do you respect them? See, that's part of being a laborer in God's kingdom, I believe. I call that our Jerusalem. Then I want to talk about the church, and we can think of the church as as Judea. I want you to ask you a few questions. What is your view of the church? I'm talking the local church. What is your view of Bethany Church or whatever church you go to? What is your role in the church? Is the church important? Would you know the church would people know the church is important if they followed you? Would they know the church is important if they followed you around for a month or two? I want to ask you something. Is the bride important at a wedding? How many of you think the bride is important at a wedding? Poor Verlin, if Kayleen wouldn't have showed up yesterday. Right? Kayleen was pretty important. She's the bride. And I think sometimes I forget, and maybe you do too, that we are the bride of Jesus Christ. There is no greater honor than we as human beings could have than to be the bride of Jesus Christ. God sent his son to die on the cross for us. And he has given the church to Jesus as his bride. And one day he's going to come and get his bride. And he wants his bride to be ready. And who is his bride? The church. Who is the church? You and me. We are the church. And I'm sure that that Verlin would have been extremely disappointed if Kayleen would have came into the ceremony yesterday with something other than a white dress if she would have came in a purple dress. Or if she would have came and her dress was, had a few holes in it. Or lots of stains and she was out playing a game of kickball. Whatever. Sliding around in the dirt. When her dress was dirty. It wouldn't be fit and it wouldn't be proper and we would have been appalled to see her walk up the aisle like that. But what does your wedding garment look like? Reaching out to others. If God calls you to go, will you go? Or are you too tied down at home with stuff? And I think of talents. And I think of Matthew 25, the parable there of the man that went, the master that went on a journey and he left his servants with, his, with talents. And I look at that and I see such a beautiful picture of Jesus was here on earth with, as a man. And he went to heaven and he tells us there in John 14 that he's going to prepare a place for us. And he's like that master on a far journey and he's left us with talents. Every one of us, I believe, has something that we can use in serving in the kingdom of God. And a few things that I find interesting in the parable of the talents is... The abilities were all given by the master. The talents were all given by the master. They didn't earn them. They, didn't, they, they were just given what they were given. The master trusted them. They were the number that was given to me, from what I understand, is insignificant. The man with one talent two talents or five or three or five, whatever, whatever the numbers were there, I don't think there was difference in what number of talents they had. 
They were just supposed to do the best that they could with what they had. That's it. We have been given talents. God has left. He got, Jesus Christ has went into heaven. He's preparing a place for us. He has given us talents. He has given us abilities. He's giving us a mission field to work on. And I want you to look at your own life and ask yourself, what are you doing with the talents that God has given you? Because there's a few things that are very interesting and thought-provoking. They were all accountable by default. They were given talents. They were accountable. They couldn't say, I don't want the talent. I'm not going to use it, so just count me out. I, I don't want to be responsible for that. No, they were given the talent, and then at the end, they were responsible. And if they used it right, they were justified. And if they didn't use it, they were condemned. You have been given talents. You have been given much. You have been given so much. Being raised. Use your talents and use them wisely. A few of the characteristics of the faithful. They were diligent. Applied themselves. They didn't make excuses. But oh, you look at the one that had the one talent. He buried it. He was like that combine who said, I'd like to help, but I just, I'm scared. And maybe you're here this morning and think, I can't do what he or she can do. I just don't have any gifts. I just don't have any talents. I don't believe that. God will give you something if you long to work in his kingdom. And it doesn't matter if it's just one talent. It's okay. One talent is fine as long as you're using your talent the way that you're supposed to be using it. But if you have five talents, it's not good enough to just use one. You need to use whatever God has given you. Are you being a faithful steward of your talents? 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And lastly, money. Matthew 6.19 and 20. Jesus tells us to not lay up for ourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust do corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But what does he tell us to do? He says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust of the corrupt, nor where thieves do not break through or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In the Bible, Jesus talks about money more than heaven and hell combined. And it's a hard one for us to grasp, isn't it? And I'm not sure why Jesus talked so much about money. But a couple of things that came to me in studying is, maybe one of them is that if we don't have enough money, we have a hard time trusting, and we have an easy time complaining, and being bitter towards God maybe, and just having that kind of an attitude. And if we have too much money, and then we may think that we don't need God, and we may become independent, and we may think that we don't need our brothers and sisters. See, there's lots of dangers on either side. But see, God is more concerned about your heart than he is your money. And if God truly has your heart, then he will truly have your money. And therein lies the key. And there's things that we grapple with. We've discussed them this weekend. Where are the lines? I don't know exactly. 
But I want to encourage you. Don't hold anything with a clenched hand. Hold your things that God has given you like this. And if God takes them, you still serve him. And if God asks you for some of them, you, still, you give them and continue serving him. If God has your heart and if you truly long to seek him and honor him and serve him and labor in his kingdom, I believe that he will show you what to do. In today's culture and even in our circles, it seems hard not to focus on money, right? What Jesus tells us not to focus on seems to be what we focus on, or we sure are tempted to, at the very least. We need to be intentional about serving Jesus. Thought about the rich young ruler. You know, Jesus didn't condemn the fact that he was rich. He condemned the fact that he loved his money too much to be able to follow Jesus and serve him. Men, are you spending too much time pursuing money and failing your family, failing your wife, young men, failing your youth group, your parents, pursuing your own things, You spending too much time pursuing money that the church is failing. The church is kind of an afterthought for you. Remember, the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. It's not an afterthought. Do you think Kayleen was an afterthought for Verlin yesterday? I highly doubt it. Are you making compromises to pursue money? Is it what you think of the most? You know, I find it interesting. Some... People, when you're in a conversation, can talk so freely and openly when the discussion is about work and money or hunting, whatever it is. But when the talk turns to Jesus Christ and your spiritual journey, it's hard for them to choke out a few words. And I want you to look at your own life. If that's you, change. How do you store up treasure in heaven? I need to close. Matthew 25 gives us a beautiful example of how we store up treasure in heaven. We come to church and we become equipped. We get those batteries recharged and then we go out and we care for others. We feed the hungry. We clothe the naked. We visit the ones in prison. And I know it takes time. I know it takes work. And I'm not there yet. And I've got so much to do. But we need to start. Give cheerfully of your time, your talents, and your money. Give, give, give. God loveth a cheerful giver. Remember that God owns everything. Are you bringing God honor and glory in your life? If you are, keep it up. If you're not, get on your knees and repent and ask him to change you. Back to our text where we started. I love the fact you look at that Jesus says after he says that the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few what does he say he said let us pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers I want to ask you this morning 
Will you be a laborer in the kingdom of God and work for him? May God bless you.